Psalm 137, verses 1 to 9. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is God's holy and authoritative word. According to um, city records, uh, 28% of Cambridge residents were born in a foreign uh, country. And, uh, and 12% of Cambridge residents didn't live in Massachusetts a year ago. Uh, so it's kind of crazy stats, right? And uh, so one in 10 Cambridge residents, more than that, you meet uh, uh, were out of state or out of country transplants. And so this is a city that's like familiar with homesickness, feeling out of place, you know, just not, you know, feeling like you belong and... Um, and so that sense of being distressed by the distance from loved ones and from things that are familiar to you and longing for home. And Psalm 137 really is about that. It's about longing for home, uh, but in a much more significant way because they're not only away, you know, for a time, their home's been destroyed. Um, and, uh, and, and it teaches us overall that as exiles in worldly Babylon, that we should long for the heavenly Jerusalem. I think that's the main point of this psalm. Um, so first we see in verses 1 to 6, our remembrance of Jerusalem. And then in verses 7 to 9, God's remembrance of Jerusalem. Um, so let's look at our remembrance of Jerusalem beginning in verse 1. It begins by putting Babylon and Zion side by side, which kind of highlights the sense of loss and separation. Uh, so he says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So, so this psalm, we know from this verse that was written after the Babylonian exile in 586 BC, right? God's people are by the waters, which sounds pleasant and nourishing, uh, but actually is not because when you get to the word Babylon, it's by the waters of Babylon. This is not where God's people should be, uh, but that's where they are. And there we sat down and wept and we, when we remembered Zion, the city of Jerusalem, which has been reduced to rubbles and it survives only now in people's memory of the past. Right? Um, and, uh, and it's uh, verses 2 to 3 continue that sad tale. It says, On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So, the phrase on the willows there also communicates the sense of kind of being out of place uh, because the word willows, it says in the footnote in the ESV, can be translated poplars. I don't know if that's how you say the name of the tree. Poplars, is that right? Poplars, uh, it's a, so it's not the kind of willow tree in like the Boston Garden 
it's a poplar that's like a type of a willow kind of uh, and uh, it's the Euphrates poplar poplar it's popularly known uh, it's a type of tree that grows uh, by rivers so like the rivers of Tigris and Euphrates right Tigris and Euphrates in Babylon so it's a tree that's widespread popular known in Babylon and so so again that's a reminder that they're not where they're supposed to be on the willows there there we hung up our liars uh, four, there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So this contrast of words kind of highlight the cruelty of Israel's exile, right? They demand songs of mirth while tormenting them, right? Uh, they demand, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what is it here? They demand songs uh, when they're keeping them captive. Uh, but this can't, cannot be. Right, and you could notice you might notice the repetition of the word there in verses one to three, by the waters of Babylon there, uh, and then by there by the willows in verse three. Uh, these are songs of Zion that cannot be sung sung there. Uh, it can only be sung when you are in God's land, uh, where God's promises are fulfilled, uh, because they are God's songs, and that's what verse four says. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Uh, the Lord's song, which speak of the joy that's found in the presence of God alone, the mirth of fulfillment of the promises of God. Like, how can that be sung in a foreign land? Um, and so the psalmist kind of makes a vow saying that he's, he would lose his skill, he won't be able to, able to play his instrument, or he wouldn't be able to sing at all uh, if he forgets Jerusalem. So he says, verses 5 to 6, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So the first section, verses 1 to 6, begins and ends with the mention of remembering, remembering Zion, remembering Jerusalem. No matter how long this exile lasts, God's people are never to forget where their true home is, uh, where God's promises are. Uh, and this is true for us as well, even though we're not part of the nation of Israel, of, we're not Jewish. Um, and uh, uh, and it's uh, and it, First Peter chapter one verse one. Peter addresses the church, the Christians, as elect exiles. First um, Peter five verse thirteen. He calls the church she who is at Babylon, um, because in the Old Testament nation of Babylon, because of the Babylonian exile, becomes this a symbol or a type of the center of worldly power and influence. So in the New Testament, Babylon gets used that way, symbolically. So, so then all Christians are those who are in exile in Babylon, right? according to the way Peter treats. So we are those exiles that Psalm 137, in a sense, it, it here is talking about. So as exiles in worldly Babylon, then we should also long for the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the main point of this passage. As Hebrews 12 and Revelation 21 speak of, the heavenly Jerusalem is our home, and we should be anticipating that, longing for that, and waiting for that. Uh, and, and, and say, as the psalmist says in verse 6, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. It's a wonderful phrase, right? Above my highest joy. Uh, what is your highest joy? Right, in life, right? uh, our longing for God, our longing for His abode, His home, should be above our highest joy. Right? Um, so it's God being united with God, being in His presence, being in awe of His glory, 
worshiping before His throne? Is that uh, above your highest joy? Because if we are so satisfied by the joys of this worldly Babylon, uh, and that so that so much so that we do not long for this heavenly Jerusalem, uh, then that's a sign that we have forgotten the city of God, um, and we are to remember. That's the exhortation of that the passage. Um, and, and if verses 1 to 6 is about our remembrance, verses 7 to 9 is about God's remembrance. It's a prayer for God's remembrance of Jerusalem. So let's, let's read it together. Verses 7 to 9. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, uh, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Um, this, uh, this verse recalls um, uh, not, uh, what, not only what the Babylonians did, but also what the Edomites did. So Edomites were the descendants of Esau, right? So they're technically brothers. Um, but in Obadiah, the prophet uh, just rails against the, the Edomites because when Babylonians were... Uh, ransacking Jerusalem, the Edomites just watched idly by and let them have at it. Um, and so Obadiah is a denunciation of, uh, the whole book is a denunciation of Edom. It says, In that day, Obadiah 8 to 11, declares the Lord, Will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those who have understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So this is a prayer for divine vengeance, which explains its uh, shocking uh, violence, uh, right? And, and it's not, um, and it's, there's some, uh, it's, we shouldn't take the um, expression strictly, literally here because um, it mentions daughters of Jerusalem and then it mentions uh, the little ones. So it's referring not to like, let's go kill the babies. It's referring to the future generations of Edom, right? And the word, uh, word Edom, um, uh, the, if you look at 1 Kings 14.7, one of the prominent cities of Edom was Selah. Or uh, it's, the, it's in Greek Petra, you've probably heard of it, right? Uh, it means rock. Uh, so 1 Kings 14, 7 says, Amaziah, Amaziah, king of, Amaziah, king of Judah, struck down 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Saul and took Selah by storm, right? So he talks about that. As a, and so here, may your, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So it's literally saying, like, dash them against the city itself, dash them against it, that may Edom be destroyed to its core. That's kind of what it's, uh, that, what that image is. Um, and and it's a it's a uh, it is a sh- you know it's I think it makes us uncomfortable I think if we're honest with it to to think, talk about verses like this um, but I think um, people understand when they are a uh, victim of of grave injustice um, that this that there's something about justice that is necessary right so for example like um, even with um, um, uh, I mean, when you see, for example, nowadays, uh, let's say instances of, you know, racist kind of killings, 
right? Uh, let's say there's a, uh, and, and uh, when people see that and they're upset by that, what do they do? They call for murder charges, right? They want the guy jailed for life or in, in death row. They want the guy's head, right? Uh, because they're angry uh, and they believe that's what justice demands. So people, when they're actually really angry and, and feel like they've been victimized, that's what they long for. It, they long for justice. Uh, and so there's a P.D. James uh, in, in her uh, mystery uh, novel Original Sin uh, uh, develops a character uh, who says this uh, to her Jewish colleague if I had a God I'd like him to be intelligent cheerful and amusing uh, so this is a person saying well I want God to be just you know, fun, entertaining just to be a good companion and then the, the Jewish colleague responds uh, I doubt whether you'd find him much of a comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers, you might prefer a god of vengeance. Um, and that's what this justice is, right? It's, it's when it, because you don't just look at one side of God's justice and wrath. Um, you have to look at what is engendering that because it's God's love for his people that makes him break out in wrath toward the oppressors of his people. Right, it's so. Justice is also a flip side of love. You can't have one without the other, uh, and 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 here it's not. He's not calling for uh, you know personal vengeance and retaliation. Uh, the psalmist he's praying that God would take vengeance, right? And he's praying that God would remember uh, his people. Uh, and so he, I don't think this is contradictory with the Christian ethic of love your enemies. You know, turn the other cheek. It's the, it's because those are the principles of personal. Um, ethics and loving our enemies, right? But that's not doesn't change uh, the fact that God is going to bring justice, uh, and and He's going to bring justice against His enemies. Uh, and these are pictures of Edom and Babylon are are representatives of those who oppose God Himself, not just us uh, and personally His people. And um, and and ultimately, you know, this Psalm too is fulfilled in what Jesus has done. Because we see the fierceness of God's wrath toward injustice uh, on the cross where Jesus is crucified, right? Uh, that's the, uh, we were enemies of God. We had, we had fought uh, against him, uh, and yet he loved us. Uh, and, and he poured out his wrath on his son instead on the cross. And it's through that he brings about, and he inaugurates the kingdom of God, right? He begins the kingdom of God in a sense, uh, or he ushers in the kingdom of God so that it breaks into where our, our own lives. And, and it's not fulfilled yet, fully fulfilled yet. Uh, so we live in this already but not yet period, intervening period between Jesus' second, first coming and second coming. And, and so because we're there, we experience some of this kingdom joy and mirth, uh, but not the fullness of it. Uh, and, and so we are still suffering. We are still experiencing injustice. And we are to long, uh, instead of being satisfied in worldly Babylon, long for heavenly Jerusalem, continue to uh, in our lives. And so that's what this uh, psalm is about. Um.